Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. Yo, 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 yo. What's going on? (laughs) What's up, Love Tribe? We're feeling a little silly 
as we come to the end of a week. How many interviews did we do this week? 12? Yeah, 12 interviews. Yeah, lots of great stuff uh, that you've been listening to, hopefully, and more coming your way. And Sarah and I really enjoyed all of these talks this week. And today's episode is no different, where we welcome Sarah Hunter Murray, and I should say Dr. Sarah Hunter Murray. She is a And welcome back, because we had her on the show like a year ago. Did I mention this is a 12th interview? (laughs) Yeah. So Sarah's on top of it. She is a relationship therapist with a PhD in human sexuality and the author of the new book, Not Always in the Mood, The New Science of Men, Sex, and Relationships. And that's what we dive into is men's sexuality and desire for sex. So whether you're a man listening to this or a female, there is a lot of value in understanding that sometimes men are not always in the mood. Sometimes we like to be the ones that are pursued. Lots of things that might be flipping the general cultural narrative on its head that you've been taught or that we grow up with. And uh, it's just not true. Dr. Murray gives us some great insight with the research that she's done and some tools to bring these insights into our relationships so that we can better relate with our partner, whether we are the male or female in this situation. Yeah. She talks about a lot of misconceptions that I was really unaware of. And a lot of the research that she's given us, I think it's given me a different perspective on how men's sexuality can affect a relationship. And we would love to hear from you guys. If you guys are not a part of our love tribe on Facebook, we would encourage you guys to join. You can find it by going to Facebook and searching love tribe fam. And it's a private group. We're all here to support each other and help each other improve your relationship. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sarah, we like to start the show with having you tell us and our listeners why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Oh my gosh. Um, Great question. Um, As a relationship therapist, I mean, I've just always been drawn to the value of human connection. And I just think our intimate relationships provide us with so much um, self-worth, comfort, joy, love. And I just think that if we can better understand our partner and increase that closeness, it just creates a better sense of well-being for ourselves and a better outlook on on our lives in all other places. So um, to me, it's the, the crux of, of what makes the world turn. <laughs> we agree. Yeah. It's like uh, kind of unique to being a human are these mm-hmm. crazy relationships we have. Not completely, you know, dolphins and higher primates have some interesting things going on, but ours are pretty complex and a lot of times that can lead to some issues and some problems. And 
if we're doing it the right way and if we're working, uh, a lot of great things. And today's topic is one that I have a particular interest in, but the uh, opposite sex will as well, um, and that is that of men's sexual desire. And it's an area that is pretty mysterious to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, there's there's just a lot going on. And it's an area that I think about, but I have not read any research. And I know you have some interesting research in this field. And maybe we could start off with having you tell us what is happening in that realm of research in, in men's sexual desire and maybe some things that on the surface, our assumptions are are not what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I am, um, my background is in sex research. I have a PhD in human sexuality. And, you know, being a woman, I started my research studying women's sexual experiences. I was thinking about the complexity of when women are in the mood and when they're not. And that's something that we are very comfortable talking about. Um, and researchers have explored that pretty thoroughly. What I started to notice over the course of my research, however, is that almost every time we were looking at women's sexual experiences, we were kind of doing this compare and contrast against men. So we were kind of saying things along the lines of, you know, assuming that men's desire stays high and is kind of simple, it's always there, this kind of high, constant, unwavering idea of men's sexual desire. And then we'd use that as a, as a counterpoint. We'd say, so we should study women's sexual experiences because they appear to be much more complex. Um, over the co- like course of time, though, I started to kind of question this and say, do we really know that men's sexual desire is so high, constant, and unwavering? Or is that an assumption that we're making? Because there really wasn't a lot of research being conducted on men's desire in the first place. Um, and the limited amount of information that was there um, tended to focus on that younger college-age sample that we're so used to seeing, um, you know, men who are 18 to 25. And so perhaps men might relate to having a higher level of sexual desire at that particular point in their lives. Um, you know, but if some of myself, you know, I'm a 34-year-old woman, um, you know, I was kind of curious about what happens later in life when life gets more complicated, when relationships become longer term, um, when we have jobs, houses, kids. And I just felt there was this real lack of understanding about what men really wanted because we weren't asking them. Um, I think what we were defaulting to was these stereotypical assumptions that we, um, you know, that occur in our society. The, this idea, you know, that we hear reinforced in movies and, and songs and TV shows about men always being interested in sex. Um, you know, we hear comments that, you know, Anytime my partner's in the mood, I'll take it. Or, you know, all men think about is sex. Um, and I was just really curious about whether that was truly reflective of men's experiences. There is definitely a cultural narrative around men's experiences and women's, as you said, in, in relationship to men's sexual drive, among other things, you know, like the whole, if a, a female is promiscuous, she's a slut. And if a guy is, then he's just doing a great job. Like, and, and there's all of these cultural narratives and a lot of times it's not the reality of what's going on. So I'm really interested to hear what you found when it comes to men's sexual desire that on the surface is different than we, we have previously thought. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the way that I went into the research, I'll just tell you a little bit about first, I, I interviewed men um, who are heterosexual in long-term relationships. And so I conducted these um, you know, extensive interviews where we talked for like an hour or longer in some cases. Um, and what I found over the course of the interviews is that men might start by kind of saying things that fell in line about what was more socially expected, you know, saying, you know, I've got a quite a high healthy sex drive. I'm pretty interested in sex. Um, but over the course of our interview, I started to hear more exceptions to the rule and a more nuanced description of their experiences. Um, so for example, men would start to say things like, Oh, well, I'm not always in the mood, you know, you know, sometimes I'm sick or, you know, sometimes I'm tired. And so they'd start to kind of open up these like exceptions to the rule. So things that are completely understandable, most people could probably relate to that. Um, but what struck me is the more that we talked, I started to hear this really nuanced version of men's sexual desire that I hadn't really been exposed to before. Um, men were saying things like, they were kind of um, tired of always being the one who was um, pursuing and being the more dominant person when it came to their sexuality. The expectation that they were the ones who should chase um, and and you know initiate sex with their female partner. They said that they were so used to being the ones who did the desiring um, that kind of made their female partner feel wanted, and that they really wanted to kind of have this passive role at times where that they could be chased, they could be, their female partner might flirt with them, initiate sex, make them feel desirable. Um, and so it was kind of this more like they wanted to receive um, this, uh, the feeling of being wanted and not just be the one doing the wanting. Um, I also heard men talk about this pressure to always be in the mood and that that would kind of show up in their relationships too. So if there were things like they were feeling, you know, like the tired and sick before, but there were also just things like men said, you know, sometimes if I'm just feeling stressed or I'm just not thinking about sex, my mind's on other things. If my female partner is interested, they talked about how it would be really hard to say no to her because they were worried that she would judge him she wouldn't be understanding, that he wouldn't kind of come across as a quote-unquote real man if he ever said no to sex. So it really struck me that there was this pressure that men sometimes describe feeling where they felt that they should be in the mood even if they weren't. And sometimes they even acted in ways that would give the appearance that they were in the mood even when they weren't feeling sexual desire themselves. I'm just curious, when you mentioned the research on the women wanting to, or the men wanting to feel desired and chased. How does that compare to the research of what women feel? Do most women feel that they want to be chased as well? Or is there kind of a balance that you find in between the two? Yeah. So great question. Um, We know from the research on women's sexual desire that feeling desired is a huge component of women's um, experiences of their sexuality and their sexual interest. Um, so, you know, in our society, we're used to seeing, um, women's, um, appearances and bodies being, um, looked at, ogled, even objectified. And that's, you know, can be bad in certain circumstances, of course, that comes with some consequences. But in the, in the context of a relationship, um, women describe most of the time that a male partner that they, you know, care about and, perhaps love, um, you know, him showing that he's attracted to her, giving her compliments about her physical appearance, you know, kind of making a move towards her, giving her a kiss, rubbing her body in some way or shape or form, initiating sex, at least making it known that he wants to have sex with her. All of those things, um, you know, the research shows that that's very 
important to women's experiences of their sexual desire. However, what we don't really see is this counter narrative that came up in, in my findings where women don't necessarily think to kind of turn it around and tell their male partners quite as frequently, oh, you know, you look so handsome today or, oh my gosh, like you've been working out, like you're so hot or, you know, I giving that extra look or the, even approaching to initiate closeness, a kiss or, or sex. It goes against those social norms that we've been raised, um, raised by. So this is really hitting home for me, and and I think Sarah, this is not yeah. a surprise to her, and it's something that Sarah and I have talked about. That I realized that I really receive love through touch and and words of affirmation, and it's been a bit of a place or a friction point that that Sarah and I are working on that. I do want to feel desired and it doesn't really come natural for Sarah to pursue me in in a sense or so how how do we navigate that um I can talk about what our conversations look like but they don't always go great cuz then I I will say I I like it when you initiate this and that and then Sarah will sometimes be a little defensive she's like I am and and we're kind of in this pattern. It's why relationships are hard because it doesn't come natural to Sarah. And yet it's something that positive way that I receive love. And I think it's something that doesn't come natural to a lot of women because again, over the course of our lives, a lot of us, most of us receive messages that you were kind of talking about before Chase, where, you know, we're not supposed to be sexually promiscuous. We're not supposed to put ourselves out there. We're supposed to kind of act as more the gatekeeper. Um, you know, as teenage girls, if we were the ones pursuing, you know, you do get those labels of being too promiscuous or slutty. Um, and so a lot of women learn to kind of tone down some of their expressions of sexuality and kind of wait for men to approach them or come to them. So it really is breaking out of the shell for a lot of women to consider pursuing and making their male partner feel desired and wanted and, you know, going as far as initiating sex. Um, you know, and, and so I guess all I would start by saying is that that's a completely valid response, right? It's, it's hard to do and it's not what we've been taught to do. Um, I, I suppose my, my advice is if that's something that you're interested in doing, if that's something that you want to try, I mean, you can start on the, on the lighter side of things. I mean, men in my research talked about just the value of a compliment. Um, you know, that might not go all the way and do the trick in each and every case, but you know, you can start with kind of inviting those small things that go against the grain or go against what we've been taught. You know, you look so handsome or I really am attracted to you when you wear this, you know, shirt or you do this thing. Um, initiating even like smaller acts of physical closeness, you know, men talked about how they felt desired even when their female partner would come and just kind of, you know, rub their, their foot or just put their hand on their shoulder or just kind of cuddle in close while they were watching a movie. Um, you know, sometimes even that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be initiating sex to start or, you know, if, if that's something that makes you feel less comfortable, but just kind of anything that starts kind of shifting those gender norms. Um, you know, men talk about how they really do feel like a lot of the pressure of initiating sex and initiating physical closeness falls on their shoulders. Um, 
we have lots of discussions about relationships where we talk about when things are like unevenly weighted, right? If someone's doing more cleaning in the house or someone's more responsible for, um, you know, doing laundry or groceries, you know, when we say like, you know, we get kind of tired of certain things if we feel like one person's always doing it. Um, so I think we have to look at all those roles in our home and that includes sex to decide, you know, is this, is this a fair division of, of quote unquote labor? Um, and how good does it feel for our partner when we can kind of step in and try to break out of that, um, out of that more traditional stereotype that men and women are, have been trained to, to hold. And especially in long-term relationships where these patterns become more and more evident. If, if, if I have a desire to be chased or pursued, not chased cause it's not like, but like for Sarah to initiate touch, not even sex, but, and it's doesn't happen for a month. That's one thing. But if it's, if it's over a long period of time, I mean, first I have to recognize that that's how I receive love. I have to communicate that to Sarah cause she can't just read my mind, but then like, those are important steps. And then how can I remind Sarah, you know, in a way that that's not blaming. And then how can she work on making that more of a habit? Yeah. So I think what you raised there is, is a really good point. I mean, it is about both people, right? We're not all of a sudden saying, okay, women, like the onus is on you to kind of change things here, right? Part of it is for men to kind of reflect on their own experiences. You're just talking about their chase of saying, you know what, this is important to me. And how do I let my partner know um, one, that it's important to what she's doing that actually makes me feel wanted and desired so that she knows maybe there are things that are really important to you that your partner never really knew mattered, right? Like maybe just even a kiss on the cheek when she's walking by is something that you really value. Um, you know, making sure that your partner knows how important that is, is huge, right? It's just the open lines of communication and just, you know, I'm a big fan of, of positive reinforcement, like, Focus on when something felt good. Focus on when she made you feel wanted and what you liked about it. Um, one of the things that came up in my research that I'll just kind of um, bring into this conversation because I think it's appropriate is um, men talked about how sex and, you know, wasn't just this like physical surface level need for them. They talked about how they got a lot of their emotional needs met through sex. They felt loved. They felt um, close. It was this emotional experience of being vulnerable and intimate. Um, and so I think some women have kind of learned because I think socially, again, these norms are just out there that sometimes when men want sex, he's just horny. He's just looking to get off. And again, I mean, sex should be pleasurable. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think what we miss sometimes is that you know, through sex, through touch, through closeness, men are getting so many of their emotional needs met in a relationship. Um, and it can be really difficult when those needs kind of go by the wayside if we just downplay sex as just a physical act. I think we talked about this a little bit in your last episode about being vulnerable and initiating that closeness and that touch, but then some women not doing it because they're afraid to put themselves out there and that it means that if they are going to touch their husband, then it automatically means sex. So mm -hmm. like, how do you do that dialogue? Because they're not that this happens often, but sometimes if I'm not in the mood, like I'm not feeling well to have sex all with Chase, I'll specifically not be as touchy feely because I know that I 
I'm not in the mood to have sex, so I don't want to be misleading. Can you touch on on that and maybe how to navigate that? But before we continue with today's interview, we want to tell you about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by OpenFit. OpenFit is a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. As a busy working mom, I've found it very challenging to dedicate at least one to two hours a day to driving to the gym, working out, then driving back home. So after Stella was born, I started working out at home, but I struggled with keeping the workouts fresh and challenging. So that's why I'm excited to be using OpenFit as a part of my new workout routine. They offer a variety of classes that I haven't seen anywhere else, like their T-30, which is a 30-day program designed to get you ready to crush your next Tough Mudder event. And we've always, Chase and I, have always said that we wanted to do a Tough Mudder event together. So now we have no excuse. Man, I got to start training. (laughs) I want to do this. We need to post a video of you and uh, Stella. Stella trying to join the workouts. It's so cute. It's pretty cute. So we'll have to post a video of my personal favorite, uh, their class, which is the Extend Bar, uh, which is a bar class that you can do in the comfort of your home without the bar. It's low impact, incorporates a mix of cardio, Pilates, ballet fundamentals, making you leaner, stronger, and looking and feeling like a dancer. And another benefit of the OpenFit is that you can do it anywhere from your computer, tablet, smartphone, or Roku, giving you the ability to work out anywhere, anytime. OpenFit has changed the way I work out. And with our code, I do, you can join us on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use our code, I do, and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the Open Fit 30-Day Challenge, which I got to get on for our Tough Mudder event, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days or get ready to crush Tough Mudder when you text I do to 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts and nutrition information, totally free. Again, just text I do to 303030. Standard message and data rates may apply. Today's episode is also brought to you by our course, Spark My Relationship. You're listening to the podcast, so you probably want to create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner. And if you can do it in less than 90 days, even better. We say it all the time on the show, a mediocre relationship is easy, but a passionate, authentic, and satisfying relationship takes work. It doesn't just happen on its own. And that's why Sarah really did all the heavy lifting on this, and you created <laughs> this course with the therapist that we've had on the show to really help you with the specific tools, exercises needed to create the lasting and positive improvements rather than just listening to the show and not really implementing them. This is a great way to have some accountability in a structured format to put the tools that we talk about on the show into practice. You can do this in 90 days, you can do it from home, and it is self-paced. So it is perfect for turning up the heat in your relationship, having some fun together, and really revolutionizing your intimacy and communication. And like Chase mentioned before, we've worked with 15 psychologists and therapists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists 
teach their clients. And just some of those strategies are how to eliminate unhelpful old habits, develop mindful awareness to help improve stress management, learn healthy and successful communication tools, create a deeper, more intimate bond and strengthen your couple micro culture and future together. So for our listeners only, we are offering a special promo for the course. You can find it at sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock, and you can access a special pricing just for you guys. So again, check out sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock for your special promo. Check it out. Don't waste (laughs) any more time. Do Do it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I think that's um, a key piece. And we had something we did talk about last time. And um, yeah, so the idea being that, you know, sometimes women might want to feel, I mean, I think men too, but just in, in relation to your question, sometimes women might feel like, you know what, I just want to cuddle or it'd be really fun to make out or I just want to hold hands or just kind of, you know, sway together in the kitchen or whatever it is. But I don't want to give the impression that that is just foreplay to sex. Like, so if I don't want to go to sex, then maybe kind of pulling back from engaging in any type of physical touch. Um, and Sarah, I completely agree with what you said there. I think it really is another example of just open communication, saying maybe ahead of time or just as you're starting to kind of approach your partner, you know, I just, I really just want to hug you. I just want to hold you. I just want to make out. I'm not sure that I'm ready to go, you know, that sex is on the table for me tonight. Um, but I just really want to be close to you. I just want to touch you. Um, just to kind of set some expectations around around what's happening. Um, I think some of the difficulties that occur is if, you know, one person goes into it thinking that this is a makeout session that's going to lead to sex and someone else thinks we're just kissing. And then there can be kind of that disconnect that happens partway through where someone's disappointed or gets frustrated or um, when we realize that we're on different pages. Um, but I think just, you know, expressing this is where I'm at, this is what I'm looking for, um, you know, before you even start is a really great way of making sure that there's like shared goals and shared expectations about that interaction. It's funny because it's when I hear you say that, it's like, oh, that's so unromantic. But it's, you know, it's it's reality. And I think it's better to communicate about those things than having, you know, somebody be upset or um, feel, you know, almost the opposite of connecting with their partner and then feel disconnected. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because I'm I'm so used now to to um, you know <laughs> this new idea of what's romantic and right. you know to me this idea of being able to be open about your needs and feel that you can express yourself um, full heartedly and that your partner can hear you and accept how you're feeling and maybe feel differently you know but that you can kind of hold each other's emotions and be so open with one another to me that's you know high level intimacy right there. (laughs) It might not be that kind of sexy idea that we have of, you know, just spontaneity and, and kind of being on the same page at all times. But I also think holding on to that belief can get in the way because, you know, if it doesn't feel like we're on the same page, like you were talking about before, we, we avoid the situation, right? We, we don't reach out, we don't give the wrong impression. And then we lose out on all of those opportunities to be close Um, so yeah, so sometimes I think people have this idea that the more that we talk about things, um, 
you know, it, it kind of ruins that, that spark or that moment. Um, but I mean, if I can just go back to the research for a moment, there was a, a meta-analysis like or a, a review of all the literature that's been conducted on sexual desire, sexual satisfaction, relationship satisfaction. And the common thread in like almost every single study was open communication. Um, and, and so basically saying, if you want a healthy, happy, satisfying sex life and relationship, talk, talk some more and talk some more after that. Um, it's so much easier to be in our own heads and make assumptions, but the, the communication is just so critical. It is. We talk about it a lot and it's seemingly not as easy <laughs> as <laughs> it sounds. And that's why the more we can remind ourselves and our listeners, the better, because it's, we're not just born with the tools to perfectly communicate with everyone and especially with a particular person who's our partner in the same way that we're not born with the tools to listen perfectly and give the response. So it takes constant work and reminding and it's a, a never ending process. Um, so thank you for reminding us again. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, are there ever, I mean, I know for sure there's, mixed match desires like people are different sometimes a particular female is going to want to have sex more than a guy and vice versa how can we navigate that obviously there's a lot of nuance there but what what are some tools we can do obviously communicate how can we communicate and how can we navigate that because that is in particular in Sarah and I's relationship and I imagine everyone because no one is perfectly matched up with another individual when it comes to a lot of things, especially sexual desire. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll say a couple things about that, um, if it's okay. Um, so the first thing is, you know, when we talk about mismatched desire and, you know, we call it desire discrepancy sometimes in like a, in a therapeutic setting or in the research, um, you know, it refers to any time where one per person has a higher or lower sexual drive than their partner, which I mean, really happens pretty much in every single relationship to some degree. Um, what I just want to highlight is, you know, we do tend to, again, think of men having the higher level of sexual desire and women having a lower libido. And while that's certainly the case in, in, in many relationships, um, the research suggests that um, when we actually look at individual couples, not just men in this box and women in this box, when we look at heterosexual couples, um, men and women are equally likely to be the partner with lower or higher desires. So that means that there's a lot of couples in which the woman has a higher level of sexual interest than her male partner. Um, so I just want to kind of put that um, out there as we talk about this, because, um, you know, we do really assume in a lot of cases that it's the man that has that sexual interest. And when it goes the other way, um, when the woman is the one with a higher level of sexual desire, um, sometimes she can take it quite personally and feel like her male partner's lower desire is a reflection of her physical attractiveness or his feelings about her or the relationship. And she can take it as a sign that something's wrong. Um, and so I just want to um, take that opportunity to just mention that it's completely normal for a female to have higher levels of sexual desire than her male partner. Um, it's just kind of, you know, normal variation for both men and women. Um, 
when it's in either case, I mean, we do have to figure out how to navigate that. I think it's really interesting that we treat sex as so different than other parts of our relationship that we have to figure out. Um, you know, one of the things I talk to with couples around this when there is a, a discrepancy is, you know, do you always feel hungry at the same time as your partner? You know, most people say, well, no, not always. When you do sit down to have dinner, do you always agree on what you want to have? No, sometimes I want pizza. Sometimes my partner wants a steak, whatever. Um, and we find ways to get around that all the time. And again, you know, don't want to just hit the communication button over and over again here. But, you know, it's about saying, this is my need. What's your need? You know, do we compromise today? You know, do we pull back and have, you know, you're not in the mood today? Is there something, a different way that you might want to connect with me? Maybe we could spend time together. Maybe we could, you know, touch in some kind of a physical way. Maybe there's giving or receiving of sex if one person's more or less in the mood. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's figuring out couple by couple and person by person what the best way for you looks like. Um, but the, but it's normal, first of all, <laughs> um, to have it. So it's not necessarily something to stress over. And, and I think it's about kind of naming where am I coming from and understanding a bit more what our partner needs. And every couple has to figure out what their, what their quote unquote compromise is, which shouldn't be one person always getting their way, having lots of sex and the other person doesn't want to have it. And it shouldn't be all the way the other end of never having sex. Um, and one other person having their sexual needs constantly not being met. That's a great point about the timing. And it's so true. It's like, you guys aren't hungry at the same time, every time. And on top of that, don't agree on exactly what you want to eat. So why would your sexuality be any different? And that's where opening up that communication around that is super key. And that's something uh, that Sarah and I have been able to do. And that's made a big difference. Let me ask you, as far as sexuality, and, and this is, we could do episodes upon episodes about it. If someone's sexuality has been repressed, which is a common theme we're talking about, like in, in our culture, it's pretty sexually repressive. You know, women are taught that they can't be promiscuous and, and, and then there's some things with men as well. So how on an individual level can we explore our own sexuality and then, and then together with our partner? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, when it comes to the individual side of things, like for me, I always just like to ask questions about what is the norm? Like, what are we expected? What messages did we receive? And particularly, what did we receive based on on our gender um, about what was appropriate, what was okay? You know, I think it's sometimes helpful, and I can speak from more of the woman's perspective here for a moment, you know, to think about like, what are some of the earliest messages that we learned about our sexuality? And, and you know, were we, um, did we ever experience shame because we were aroused? I mean, a lot of kids have examples of, um, you know, exploring their bodies and, you know, a parent kind of freaking out around, you know, masturbation and, and learning to kind of internalize that, that sex is bad or pleasure is bad. Um, you know, or some people just didn't really receive a lot of um, sex education around, you know, understanding their bodies, or perhaps we had a really bad, you know, sexual encounter, we received some of those messages around, you know, being slutty or, um, you know, not being able to, to fully embrace our sexual 
our sexual needs. And so I think it's important to just kind of reflect on the message, messages that we received over the course of our lives and then ask ourselves now, are they still serving me? Like, is that really a reflection of what I want now? And what would it be like to just leave a bit of space to ask myself, what turns me on? When am I in the mood? Are the things that maybe I've kind of always wanted to try doing and I've never felt comfortable asking, we can decide how much to share with our partner when we're ready. But I think it starts with a really um, personal examination of our own likes and leaving space that they might not fit um, with whatever we were taught <laughs> over the course of our lives. Um, and so again, going to the male side, I mean, I'm, I'm a woman who studies men's sexual desire. So of course, I always have this female lens. I, I, I can't get physically inside a man's brain. Um, you know, but again, I think like some of the things that stood out to me is that men would say that they were always, they received these messages about being the, the pursuer, that they were, they were rewarded for having multiple female partners or pushing to that next level of intimacy. You know, the question of like, Oh, did you get laid and like high fives and all that? If, if, you know, their relationship progressed to that level. Um, so there's this like really, you know, close connection that men were describing um, in my research around um, their value of being a man connected to how much sex they wanted or how high their drive was or how often they got laid. And I think sometimes for men, it can be really helpful to think, you know, what is my actual sexual interest? And maybe do I like say cuddling more than I, than I maybe thought was socially appropriate um, or spooning or whatever. Um, you know, I think it's really just asking like, what messages were we taught about what was, what we should experience? And then just kind of start gently questioning is that really reflective of my authentic sexuality. Does that fit for me? Or maybe in what places do I want to think, do things a little differently? It's such a big question of what, what is our authentic self? desire? What do we want? And and it's one that if you're not thinking about intently and, and taking the time to be introspective, to think about your past and your childhood, and it's not just going to pop into your brain. Because even when you are trying to find what your authentic self desires sexually or in other realms, uh, even then it's hard. And, and it's an area that fascinates me as far as being a better husband and a better father and one that I don't think ever ends because we're constantly evolving. So <laughs> your authentic self is also changing. But if you're not asking the questions and trying to get to the root of why you are feeling or doing the things you're doing, then you're not going to to make some revelation by itself. But in the realm of sexuality, it is so complex and and the reasons we want what we want or don't want or why I want to feel desired, it, it's not just about sex, right? It's all these other things that we're talking about. So it's, uh, it's important work and, and it's so interesting. And are there any other unique findings, or they don't have to be unique, but points that will help our listeners navigate this that you can think of? Um, well, the other thing that we we haven't really touched on yet, but something that I think is important to acknowledge when it comes to, to men's sexual desire based on the research that I've conducted is, um, you know, men talked a lot about, um, you know, in terms of that initiating piece, 
that it's actually quite a vulnerable act for them to do. Um, and, and that's because, you know, a lot of the men that I talked to were, were describing, um, you know, that when they initiated sex, again, it's not that it's not about physical pleasure. Um, but the part that often gets missed is that it is that bid for connection, that emotional closeness. And so when they, put themselves out there and their partner said no, um, men kind of talked about how that sexual rejection actually hit them on a pretty deep level. Um, not that they couldn't rebound from it, but just the idea that it hurt more than I think a lot of um, us tend to talk about when we talk about men. And I think that a lot of women realize. So men were talking about in my research again, that um, the sexual rejection for them kind of felt like it was more of a rejection of themselves. And when when their sexual advances were rejected over and over again over the course of a relationship, to the point that it was becoming a pattern, um, men said that they doubted themselves, they doubted their relationship, that it took a toll on their own interest in sex, and they might not put themselves out there so much anymore because they didn't want to risk that hurt. Um, and I think that's just a really important thing for us to to talk about and be aware of. Um, one, because I just don't think we kind of acknowledge that there is that peace for men, that more emotional peace around sex. I don't think that gets enough um, space in our conversations. Um, but I also want to highlight while we're talking about it that the, the point of talking about this isn't to say that women should feel guilty for saying no. I mean, I think a lot of women, if they have a lower interest than their male partner, already feel a lot of guilt or even frustration that their partner wants more sex than them and they feel bad that they're saying no sometimes or annoyed that he's initiating so often. Uh, or they, I wouldn't have to say no so much if he didn't initiate so much. You know, like it's, it's complicated. But what I really like to, to make sure that's being talked about or at least try to invite into the conversation is... I think it's important for women to think about how they're rejecting their male partner's advances, especially if they do fall into that more tradi traditional um, dynamic that he's initiating the sex and she's the one who kind of decides yes or no, um, is to be doing it in a way that acknowledges that there is an emotional piece there. So, you know, not just kind of the eye roll and the, you know, shove away and frustration, um, but perhaps just kind of acknowledging like, oh, you know, my partner maybe wants to feel close to me. Maybe he's feeling disconnected. Maybe he's looking for a way to, to reconnect. Um, you know, I can still say no. We should always say no to sex if we really don't want it. Um, but, but just considering how we're doing it, if we can let down in a more gentle way, offer a different way of connection, perhaps, if we're feeling up to that. And, and ideally being the one who kind of circles back and, and tells our partner when we actually are maybe more interested or in the mood at a later point in time. Um, but I, yeah, again, I just think there's a lot of, um, negative repercussions to assuming that men are just looking for, um, you know, a quick, like getting laid, you know, sexual pleasure, and that's it, his selfish needs. If we think that that's what our partner's looking for, or if he's interacting with us to give the impression that that's all he's looking for, we could be quite dismissive if we're not in the mood. Um, but I just think that there's actually a lot more happening under the surface than what we're tending to talk about. I love how you mentioned the importance of how you are rejecting your partner if you do, because like you mentioned earlier, there's going to be so many times when you and your partner are not going to be in the mood at the same time. And there will be times when rejection is inevitable. And so, like you said, really making sure you connect with your partner and then 
and then initiate it when you are in the mood. And then how you do that is just, is so important because otherwise it can just really turn into a disastrous situation. We've, you know, Chase and I have been there where it hasn't gone down that smooth connecting path and instead turns into a, a blaming and a pointing fingers at each other. And it's, you never want that to be the recourse of one person is trying to connect with another person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We think about if someone, if our partner said, Hey, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? And we just said, no, or, you know, we kind of right. like put it in that negative tone or roll our eyes. Right. We'd be like, what? Like, was it that ridiculous of me to ask? Um, so I think, yeah, it's just, you know, we have to consider how we're rejecting our partner's bids for connection and not necessarily treat it entirely differently because it's sex and, and consider maybe if we're just, again, rolling with those same assumptions and those stereotypes that we've just been repeatedly exposed to for a majority of our lives um, about those like that really negative and narrow idea of what men want from sex. You got to let me down easy. (laughs) It's it's important. And it is so true that it's not, there's a desire for emotional connection. And and if, if a female or the male, uh, whoever is rejecting can, come from that empathetic response and and not necessarily have to just say yes because of that, but say no in a way that is not harsh and and is like, is loving, then that can go a long way. And along these lines, we're talking a lot about navigating this, this dance of sexual desire and, and when one partner wants and the other doesn't. And and obviously it's an incredibly complex thing. And one of the things that comes up, especially in long-term relationships, is the desire for novelty. And because it can, this routine, this dance can kind of become pretty mundane and and you know what the partner is going to say, or like you said, sometimes like I won't even ask or initiate because I know Sarah's tired and that's fine. And and because she is, and I don't expect her to like get a boost of energy just because I want to, but it can become a bit mundane and novelty is, as we know, really important to introduce here. So how can we do that in this context? Well, uh, it's it's interesting, just the example you gave around, you know, if you're the person who's initiating and kind of almost being able to predict in some cases how it's going to unfold. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? We sh- it's good to be able to read our partner. If she's tired, probably not going to be the right time and, you know, adjust appropriately. Um, but I think the thing that's so fun about some of the findings in my research is that they inherently create opportunities for novel situations for a lot of couples, right? The idea of women kind of stepping into different roles and men stepping into different roles creates different dynamics than a lot of heterosexual couples tend to have in their relationships. So um, even the idea of um, a you know, female partner kind of leaning in or initiating when she's in the mood, like it can be a very empowering experience to be initiating sex. That can leave some women feeling quite sexually charged, the idea of thinking about what if we had sex when I want it, right? Instead of being that gatekeeper that we've been taught to to, to be for so long. Um, that can bring a different sexual energy into an encounter to be like, you know what? I'm kind of in the mood right now. What would I want to do to set the stage for me to have a very positive sexual encounter? And then, you know, describing, you know, responding quite well to that, right? They get, they get that feeling of being wanted. It switches that role around. Um, they get to kind of say yes or no. Um, even that, I think, is a very novel thing for some couples to experience. 
Um, and I think for men to kind of acknowledge, you know, what do I want to ask for? Like, how do I express those needs and not just make my female partner feel wanted and desired? But how do I say, you know, this is what I get from sex and this is what I'm looking for? I maybe I want to, you know, present myself a little nicer so I can get one of those compliments about my physical appearance and kind of embracing that part of their sexuality. Um, so I think, uh, it, you know, the idea of novelty kind of, fits into, um, you know, challenging and kind of shifting some of these gender norms and expectations um, and stepping into slightly different roles. A lot to think about and a lot of great things that Sarah and I and hopefully our listeners can apply. And it takes work. It takes the introspection. It takes the communication with your partner. And I feel like sometimes the default is to be like, well, this should just be easier or, or, you know, this is what humans do and let's just figure it out. And it's like, no, especially if you want the relationship to be happy and healthy. And if it's something long-term, it just gets harder and it's work worth doing. And you've given us some great tools here today, Sarah. So why don't you tell us and our listeners about your new book and where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Sounds great. Um, so my new book is called Not Always in the Mood, A New Science of Men, Sex, and Relationships. Um, you can find it um, anywhere uh, that sells books, particularly online, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, IndieBound. And um, you can also find um, more information on my website, www.sarahhuntermurray.com. Excellent. We'll have the link to your website and your book on your show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. And again, thank you so much for joining us on the show. That was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, we also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, we encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, the group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week you were listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.